This is Radio Health Journal. I'm Reed Pence. This week, the stigma of lung cancer and the widespread harm that it can do. The general consensus around the cancer is that people with lung cancer deserve what they got. The other side of the public health war on smoking when Radio Health Journal returns. With the summer break gear tucked away for the season and new school backpacks at the ready, it's time to be thinking about serving up tasty, healthy meals and snacks for those on-the-go, activity-filled days of fall, including foods that kids love to eat, like fresh grapes, makes it easier. Registered dietitian Courtney Romano is a health advisor for the California Table Grape Commission. Stock your kitchen with foods that are easy to eat, that travel well, and can serve multiple functions, such as hummus, whole grain crackers, cheese, fruits, and veggies. For example, heart-healthy grapes can be tossed into yogurt or a breakfast smoothie, packed into lunches or into sports bags for a fresh, hydrating snack. A bowl of grapes can serve as an easy side dish to a simple dinner of soup and sandwiches. Grapes from California are a natural source of antioxidants and other polyphenols. With just 90 calories for a three-quarter cup serving, no fat or cholesterol, and virtually no sodium, fresh grapes are a smart choice. Visit grapesfromcalifornia.com for more information. 63-year-old Donna Fernandez of Dallas, Texas, was diagnosed with stage 4 lung cancer about five years ago, in October of 2012. I had absolutely no symptoms. I went to the doctor because I kept gaining weight, and I thought I had thyroid problems, and a little knot had come up on my collarbone that she felt, and, and she was astute enough to think that that might be a problem and sent me for a CAT scan and lo and behold I had lung cancer. I did not have a cough. I did not have any symptom whatsoever. That's not unusual according to Carly Ornstein, National Director of Lung Cancer Education for the American Lung Association. Lung cancer often is not diagnosed until it's at its later stage and that's because the symptoms usually don't appear until lung cancers in its later stages. Also, sometimes when people experience symptoms, they're misdiagnosed for a while. Symptoms can be like a chronic cough, a cough that won't go away, and that can often be misdiagnosed as allergies or asthma or a really bad cold or something like that. Then, you know, when lung cancer is diagnosed, it's diagnosed most often at its later stages. When it has metastasized or spread to other parts of the body, that makes it much more difficult to treat and definitely impacts the five-year survival rate. For stage four lung cancer, the five-year survival rate is only 4%, and the median lifespan from the time of diagnosis is only eight months. But those statistics don't yet reflect the impact of new treatments, such as immunotherapy. It's helped Fernandez to be one of the exceptions to lung cancer's reputation. Many people still think of lung cancer as a death sentence. We generally don't like to compare cancers, but I do sometimes bring up breast cancer because it has made great strides in the five-year survival rate, and it's improved, and many people know other people that have survived breast cancer, but not many people know other people that have survived lung cancer, and so that can be, of course, very frightening. But when someone gets a lung cancer diagnosis, the support they need might not be forthcoming. Unlike with other cancers, studies show that three-quarters of Americans have a negative bias toward people with lung cancer. The low survival rate is one reason, 
People don't want to talk about something that seems so hopeless. But that's not what comes up right away when patients like Fernandez tell friends and loved ones about their diagnosis. The very first question is, I didn't know you smoked. Many people don't want to be hurtful or judgmental when they ask that question. It's natural to want to know. It's part of gauging your own risk for a disease or trying to make sense of something terrible that's happened. And a lot of people ask that question and they just don't even think about the impacts. However, it is a very hurtful question because it can imply blame. It can imply judgment, and it's just not what you want to hear when you tell someone that you're diagnosed with lung cancer. You want to hear, I'm so sorry, what can I do to help? And not be asked a question that might insinuate that you weren't at all responsible for this terrible thing happening. Donna Fernandez says she's been lucky. If her friends think she's deserved her diagnosis, they've covered their feelings up. But others have not been so polite. Overall, the general consensus of the public, including doctors, is that there's not a whole lot of sympathy or concern or it's you deserve it and we're not going to support you. We're not going to give money for research. You're on your own out there. But I know I was embarrassed whenever I told people that I had lung cancer. Now I've pretty immune to it. But you know that people's first reaction is she knew what she was doing. Even the patient themselves feels that stigma and blame. When I was diagnosed, I have to tell you, I thought, well, I got what I deserved. I knew I was taking that chance. But lung cancer advocates say it's not that simple. Personal responsibility certainly plays a role. How much is the question? Most people start smoking before they're 18 years old. So I always remind people that, you know, most people that smoke wish they could quit. It's incredibly addictive. It's very hard to understand if you've never had an addiction and never smoked, and that people were targeted by the tobacco companies as children. So trying to remember that, yes, there is a component of personal responsibility, but It's not the only issue. Still, over the past four decades, our society's public health campaign against smoking has managed to demonize smokers as well. Our anti-tobacco message really has, I would call it a public health victory in many ways. It stopped many people from starting to smoke. It's helped many people quit and understand the risks of tobacco. But an unintended consequence is that it really solidified the link between lung cancer and smoking in the public's mind to the point where it resulted in a stigma and it resulted in smokers being stigmatized. Yes, it's important that smokers, if they are smoking, that they don't do it indoors or in public spaces, but that has resulted in smokers being kind of cast out (laughs) from public situations and things like that. And then also the way that smokers have been portrayed in the media, too. But while it's true that about 85% of people getting a lung cancer diagnosis are current or former smokers, that means that 15% are not. And they're subject to the stigma as well, even though some of them take great pains to make sure people know they didn't smoke. Sometimes people that have lung cancer that are never smokers or non-smokers feel really strongly that they want to share that they were a never smoker. And for those people, you know, I really try and say, listen, we understand that's part of your story and you should feel completely empowered to share that. But maybe share it in the way that you're saying this because you want to raise awareness that lung cancer can affect anyone. 
and not to say it in a way that makes it seem like you're trying to release yourself from any blame. Whether you're a smoker yourself or a never smoker, the way that you talk about your smoking history really can impact stigma. But whether someone's a patient or a friend, should it matter if they smoked? No. Should it matter? Do we ask people with AIDS if their lifestyle brought it on? No, we've been taught not to. I mean, initially maybe we did, but now we sure don't, nor should we. Other kinds of cancer can be brought on by, you know, overeating or eating the wrong things or, I mean, cancer happens to people. No one deserves lung cancer at all, and especially doesn't deserve to die. Additionally, there are other causes of lung cancer. Absolutely, tobacco is the number one risk factor for lung cancer, but radon gas is responsible for the greatest number of lung cancer cases after tobacco, and air pollution also is a risk factor for lung cancer, as well as secondhand smoke. Ornstein says the only person who really needs to know if a person smoked is their health care provider. But Fernandez says even doctors sometimes have a bias. She relays a story she was told by one woman. She just lost her husband. He was in his early 50s, if that, very athletic, a bike rider. The doctors totally ignored his symptoms because he was very athletic, young, and a non-smoker. When they finally diagnosed that he had lung cancer, it had already gone to his brain. The chart said patient claims he has never smoked. They don't even believe them when they tell them. But, you know, I mean, I can tell you example after example after example of people who have not been diagnosed because they were too young and they had no smoking history. According to the American Lung Association, there's little direct evidence that doctors withhold treatment, but patients perceive a bias against them just the same. And that's just the start. Ornstein says that stigma negatively affects every aspect of the lung cancer experience. Patients are less likely to disclose to others that they have lung cancer, which can lead to them feeling isolated, which, of course, has many repercussions like anxiety and depression. They may be less likely to seek medical attention, so it can result in a delayed diagnosis. You know, knowing that, oh, something might be wrong, it's probably related to my smoking, and, you know, I knew this was coming, that kind of thing can really make people reluctant to go to the doctor. Once they do have lung cancer, they might be experiencing depression or anxiety or even, um, you know, some physical side effects, and they might be less likely to speak to their doctor about it, which can make their outcomes worse. Stigma also affects awareness of lung cancer and the amount of research into treatments. People share publicly that they have a disease, and then generally their friends and family members and extended networks rally around them and create what we kind of refer to as an army of advocates. And all of that helps raise awareness about a disease state. Lung cancer patients are less likely to share their story and speak publicly because of the stigma. And therefore, they're not building this army of advocates. They're not meeting other lung cancer patients. They're not engaging their family and friends in fundraising and awareness efforts. And one reason why that is also difficult is because of the low survival rate. It's hard, you know, people with lung cancer are often very ill, and then if they are not surviving, then they never have the chance to tell their story or build that group. Reversing lung cancer stigma won't come quickly. 
Hornstein says it's something that has to happen one person at a time. If, God forbid, someone were to tell you that they have lung cancer, not to ask, did you smoke? It's very hurtful. It's best to offer support and say, how can I help? And what can I do? Or I'm sorry. You know, if you encounter stigma, if you see someone or hear someone making comment that's stigmatizing or hurtful, to speak up about it and say, listen, I know it can be really frustrating to see people smoking, but, you know, it really is a pretty complicated situation and no one deserves lung cancer. And let's keep in mind that these are people, too, and that it's a really powerful addiction. The American Lung Association has started a new national movement called Lung Force that hopes to help. You can find them at lung.org. You can find information about all of our guests on our website, RadioHealthJournal.net. You can also find archives of our programs there, as well as on iTunes and Stitcher. I'm Reed Pence. Radio Health Journal returns with medical notes in just a moment. Experts estimate that 5 to 10 percent of the asthma population suffers from severe asthma. Some patients experience limits on everyday activities, like walking and household chores, yet they think their symptoms are well-controlled. This misconception can be life-threatening, but asthma can be managed if you take action and take control. According to Dr. Ellen Becker, licensed respiratory therapist at Rush University Medical Center. Draw up an asthma action plan with your doctor. It should include knowing your asthma triggers and avoiding them. It should also include a plan for what to do if your symptoms worsen so you can address the issues before an attack becomes severe. Medication is important, but also discuss lifestyle changes with your healthcare provider because diet, exercise, sleep, and stress can all affect your asthma symptoms. The Chest Foundation and Allergy and Asthma Network want to remind you that well-controlled asthma doesn't limit everyday activities. Find out more on managing asthma symptoms at asthma.chestnet.org. That's asthma.chestnet.org. Medical Notes this week. Next time you're feeling stressed, try talking to yourself in the third person. A new study in Scientific Reports finds that when people refer to themselves by name, they're able to reduce their brain activity within a second. Researchers say this translates to managing stress and helping process negative emotions in the moment with relatively minimal effort. The study finds this technique may allow you to think about yourself the same way you think about others, creating psychological distance and helping ease negative emotions. A vacuum-sealed brick of coffee is rock-hard and immovable, and doctors are using that property to improve head and neck surgery. Scientists at Vanderbilt University fit a swim cap-like headpiece on surgical patients, fill it with coffee grounds and vacuum seal it to keep their patient locked in position. Even subtle moves of a patient's skin can throw off surgical coordinates, but with coffee grounds, researchers say, surgery can be much more accurate. And finally, many of us are familiar with freckles on our skin, but you may also have freckles on your eyes. Researchers find that dark spots that occur on irises aren't cancerous, but they could mean you're at greater risk for cataracts, macular degeneration, and other diseases related to sunlight. A study in investigative ophthalmology and visual science finds that more eye freckles are found in older people who have a history of severe sunburns, as well as those who have light-colored eyes and who haven't made a habit of wearing sunscreen. And that's Medical Notes this week. More in a moment. Efforts to prevent undertreated pain have led to a significant rise in opioid prescriptions and, unintentionally, a staggering increase in addiction and death. 
the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons and the Orthopedic Trauma Association have launched a prescription safety campaign to educate orthopedic surgeons and their patients about opioid dangers and treating pain safely. It includes a print and radio campaign with messages like this. Hi, Vicki. How's your knee doing? It feels better, doctor. Those painkillers worked great. I was hoping to get some more. We're being very careful with prescription painkillers. Let's continue with therapy and off-the-shelf anti-inflammatories for now. Today, patients learn that some pain can be expected and managed safely. The campaign also includes a physician pain relief toolkit and a new patient information page at orthoinfo.org slash prescription safety. Find out more there. That's orthoinfo.org slash prescription safety. Thank you for listening to Radio Health Journal, a production of MediaTracks Communications. If you enjoyed this week's show, please leave a review on iTunes or share it with a friend. You can find more Radio Health Journal stories about health, science, and technology on iTunes, Stitcher, and at radiohealthjournal.net.